This episode of the Security Ledger Podcast is sponsored by PureVPN. Have you ever wondered if the information you share online is safe? Ensure your online privacy and internet freedom this Black Friday with PureVPN's five-year super deal for only $79. PureVPN provides you secure and unrestricted access to your favorite content from anywhere in the world while ensuring your online identity stays masked, safe, and anonymous. Connect to PureVPN's global network and enjoy complete internet freedom. For more details, click on the banner or visit PureVPN's website, www.purevpn.com. Hello and welcome to the Security Ledger Podcast. I'm Paul Roberts, Editor-in-Chief at the Security Ledger. In this week's episode of the podcast number 169, ransomware attacks are making headlines all over the world with malicious file encrypting software wreaking havoc everywhere from school districts in small town America to hospital networks in France. Up to now, ransomware attacks have followed a pattern that's pretty familiar. Attackers target organizations indiscriminately using phishing email campaigns or malicious websites. For those unfortunate enough to click on a malicious link or open a malicious email attachment, the punishment is swift and severe. Ransomware crawls their network, finding, infecting, and encrypting every hard drive and file in sight. But as the ransomware plague continues unabated, new variants are emerging less noisy, and more particular about the organizations and systems they infect. One example of this is the recently discovered PureLocker malware, a new ransomware variant that was identified by researchers at IBM X-Force and the Israeli firm Intazur earlier this month. Unlike other common ransomware, PureLocker's a little more shy and retiring by comparison. It's programmed to run only on production servers deployed in the enterprise and only under conditions that are most favorable to the malware spread. Sold as a service, a new ransomware is difficult to detect, and under the hood, it bears a striking resemblance to malware used by hacking groups like Fin6 and the Cobalt Gang, with possible links to an exclusive and expensive malware-as-a-service operation. What does this mean about the evolution of ransomware and the types of companies and assets that may be targeted in the months and years ahead? To find out, we invited Michael Cagelotti, a security researcher at the firm Intazur, which discovered the PureLocker malware. Michael came into the security legislature studios to discuss PureLocker and how clues in the ransomware's code helped him and other researchers understand how it worked and where it came from. Uh, my name is Michael Cagilotti. I'm a security researcher at uh, Intezer Labs. We are um, a company focused on uh, genetic malware analysis. Essentially, it's a new way of looking at uh, malware detection or at um, analysis in general. We believe that code is evolutionary. Uh, we have a huge database of files both mm-hmm. malicious and trusted. We took all of those files and mapped their genetic DNA, if you want to call it like that. But actually what we did is mm-hmm. we broke, and broke them uh, into small fragments. And uh, essentially we labeled all of them. Just like DNA in some ways, sort of the, the building blocks of, of malware. Exactly. It's exactly like DNA, but for code. 
And so we have this uh, system which is called Integer Analyze. Uh, you can upload any file there. We break it down into the smallest fragments we call genes. And we can tell you exactly like each gene, where is it, where did we see it before? And if we saw it before, which is an interesting uh, thing of its own, because if we didn't see it, it's probably something new. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, we're looking at the code. We're disassembling the files and breaking them to fragments and creating uh, genes in a clever way. So it's not trivial to to just break it into small fragments that, that are actually meaningful. So we, we do it in a clever way. And uh, we also use like a, a sandbox, a dynamic execution environment, in order to let the file create more uh, code. So it, it download it from the internet or uh, unpack itself. And this way we can analyze those new artifacts as well. If the malware is trying to hide its code via any packing mechanism or anything, this is how we overcome that. Michael, we're, we're talking today because you and the researchers at your company discovered a really interesting new piece of ransomware called Pure Locker that was notable for a, a couple reasons, one of which is that it seems targeted at enterprise application servers. Could you tell us just a little bit about how you discovered this and um, what is different or unique about Pure Locker compared to like other malware that, that we know about? Sure. Um, that's a good question. So usually ransomware is designed to infect as many victims as possible in hopes of making as much profit as possible. So it infects whatever it can, the encrypts whatever it can. And then the attackers expect that a certain percentage of those victims will pay the ransom in order to get their data decrypted. So essentially, it's a simple equation of the more you infect, possibly the more profit you make. Well, PureLocker, on the other hand, essentially won't encrypt you unless you're executing in a, in a very specific way. So it was essentially designed to be used as part of a, an attack tool, attack, attack toolkit, or a chain of tools it's supposed to be executed by a specific binary with specific parameters as well. Not just this binary is not enough, you have to give it specific parameters. And then it also doesn't try to obtain administrator privileges, which it really needs in order to do uh, serious encryption of, of many files. It expects to have them, essentially. And if it doesn't, it exits. So it assumes that it was invoked after gaining privileges. You could say that it's just giving up easily, but it doesn't seem that way because ransomware is pretty complicated. So essentially, they didn't bother incorporating this method inside the ransomware because I imagine they assumed that once this is executed in the proper way, you already have administrative privileges by the, that was obtained by the previous tool that executed it. And that's why uh, that's the reason it, this was undetected for so long because automated systems couldn't pick up any suspicious behavior. Do we have any sense how long it's been around? Two, three months, maybe mm. more. You're listening to the Security Ledger podcast, sponsored by PureVPN. Access your favorite content from anywhere in the world safely and anonymously. Get PureVPN's Super Black Friday deal at 88% off on a five-year plan. For more details, click on the PureVPN banner or visit their website, www.purevpn.com. 
The other interesting thing that you noticed about this malware was that it was written in pure basic, which is a pretty unusual language for a piece of malware to be written in. Um, tell us just a little bit about pure basic and why the malware authors might have chosen to write pure locker in this language. So pure basic is a it's a it's a programming language that um, it has several advantages. It's pretty simple. It actually costs money to get the, even the most basic license to use it. So it's not like other programming languages, which are usually free. A good advantage of using PureBasic is that it's easier to multi-platform. PureBasic allows you to compile either to Linux or to Windows uh, in a pretty seamless way, and it wraps the underlying API functions for you. So you don't, you don't have to directly interact with the API of the, of the operating system you're using, so this, in this way, you don't have to rewrite the code uh, if you're targeting uh, mm-hmm. Windows or Linux, like like you have to do if you if you write the malware, for example, in in C, you have to change if you're targeting Linux and Windows quite differently. But I, I'll, I'll mention that um, PureLocker doesn't really take advantage of of this fact. I mean, it does in in certain senses, but not in others. So. Um, it actually, while it, it's using pure basic, it's not using, the, it's not really taking advantage of the multi-platform features of pure basic because it is actually interacting directly with with the Windows API in the samples hmm. we analyze. In your opinion, then, is the pure basic mostly about evasion, just about fooling um, automated malware scanners more than it's about using the the, the features of the language itself? The main reason it's written in pure basic is because this is actually so, sort of a, a fork of the Morex backdoor. So the Morex is a well-known backdoor used by Cobalt Gang and Fin6 and other threat groups. And this backdoor was is written in pure basic already. So the author of Morex has the, the backdoor code already, and he essentially wanted to port it to a ransomware. So he used a lot of the code, or certain part of the code, the, the, the evasion part, essentially, the part that's responsible for evasion, but it modified the payload. The payload is quite a lot of code, but it's still only a part of it. So it's like a, you can look at it like a, it, it changed the, the main function, that the, the do bad things function. It changed it from, uh, from doing a backdoor functionality to ransomware functionality. So he had... Uh, this way, he re- reused the code he had. And you can see that this author actually has even more tools. It has a third tool uh, besides more eggs that is also based on the same um, you know, um, design and uh, I would call it framework of more eggs that is an info stealer. It's called the Stealer One. Not many publications talking about this, but I found an old publication from a year ago, I think. So the, the author of Morex essentially has this framework and it's using it's using the framework. That it has a solid framework, I would say. And it's proving to be pretty effective because even though you would expect this framework since it is reused so much, even if the you know it's a pretty exclusive toolkit, you, you don't not many thread groups have it, but still you can you have quite a few samples out there. Um, it seems to be really hard to for vendors to detect it. So essentially, when the new samples come, when new samples come up, probably the reason is since it is written in pure basic, 
Pure Basic generates code that looks very generic, and it's not super easy to create signatures, AV signatures for um, malware written in Pure Basic, and that's maybe the reason he chose Pure Basic mm-hmm. to begin with. Now, the the interesting thing is essentially the part that was reused in all of those samples in Pure Locker and Morex and the other tools that are related to Morex is the part that is responsible for evasion and anti-analysis. Essentially, the code that is responsible for keeping the malware undetected. It is funny that reusing code like that is actually working so well for the authors. The fact that they're using this should work against them, right? Because it's a it's known piece of code already. Now, it's very hard to, to deal with it in, in the behavior sense because it's the whole point is anti-analysis. But when you look at the code, when you, for example, use genetic analysis or code reuse, suddenly the fact that they're reusing the code becomes a disadvantage for them because this is how we actually detected them. So this is a pretty uh, good example of the importance of code mm. reuse analysis, which can, which can allow you to detect stuff that other approaches are completely missing because they're not looking at this type of you know, artifact. What do we understand about the group uh, behind this PureLocker and InfoStealer and these other malware uh, that's part of this framework? What do we understand about them just by looking at the code that they're writing and the new tools that they're spinning out of this framework they've developed? First of all, the, there was a really good article written by QSINT, um, which is a, a German company uh, that, uh, that exposed this uh, malware as a service operation, essentially. They called it golden chickens. Before they wrote this article, people thought the malware that uh, this malware as a service operator is selling was essentially used by Cobalt Group. And everybody thought that every time this malware was used, it was attribu- they attributed it to Cobalt Group. They didn't know that Cobalt Group was actually buying their malware from a third party. At a certain point, uh, Quotient understood this and realized that they're seeing two or three different groups operating the same pieces of malware based on like their uh, the way they're deploying it, the way they're targeting victims. And also the malware had indicators inside that showed it's, it's been operating by different actors. So they exposed this whole malware as a service operation, which is pretty exclusive. Uh, basically a provider that is selling more X vector and some other malware toolkits as well. And the operator was selling uh, other tools like Venom and Taurus building kits. So they're used for crafting malicious documents in order to deliver the payload. So it's a, it's a whole toolkit or several toolkits that this malware as a service operator is selling to exclusive uh, cybercrime groups like Cobalt Gang, Fin6. And uh, I don't think you can just buy it like that in the underground forums. You, you, probably there is some vetting going on. Essentially... The malware service author, we, we, we're not sure if, it, if it's actually also operating those malware. Maybe it, it is just selling them to the threat groups. So you asked what we can know, what we can infer about the, the author from the code. Well, we can say that, as I said, he's reusing code a lot um, in a pretty effective way, I would say, um, because... Um, the vendors have trouble detecting um, these different tools, even though they're using the same techniques. As, essentially, as I said, because 
they're using the same techniques that are so effective. The money is basically. If organizations out there are concerned that they may have this on their network lurking, but but unrevealed yet, what can they do? Usually you won't have it lurking around. Uh, it's not out there waiting. Like the pure locker itself, I would say, is not out there waiting. Maybe you have an implant of, of another kind that you've been infected by that may choose at some point by the, the order of the, you know, the attackers may order it or may command it to execute pure locker on your system. But if you are unfortunate to be infected by this ransomware, unfortunately, there is no uh, way right now to decrypt the files without paying the ransom. I, we, we couldn't find any flaw in the encryption mechanism to decrypt this. Michael uh, Kajalodi, thank you so much for coming on and speaking to us on Security Ledger Podcast about PureLocker. Sure. Thanks, Paul. I'm sure we'll speak again. You've been listening to the Security Ledger Podcast, sponsored by PureVPN. Protect your online privacy with PureVPN and keep your information safe, secure, and inaccessible from hackers and intruders. Get PureVPN's Super Black Friday deal at 88% off on a five-year plan. For more details, click on the banner or visit their website, www.purevpn.com. 